Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we're on a journey together, really, over the next uh, 40 days. We're going to be on a journey where we stop, and before we go any further, we're going to stop and say, God, we are completely and utterly dependent upon you. We need you. We can't do this without you, this journey together. And so we're going to see God, and we're praying that God would do fantastic things in our midst as we bring people together to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and give like Jesus. And this is all because we're actively going out and, and we're going to people and we're saying, uh, Jesus is the greatest person that you'll ever meet and he can transform your life. We're going out actively to people and bringing them together for the gospel. And so last week we looked at uh, really the next five active steps that we're going to do as a church. Five real tangible things to help us bring people together to live, love, and give like Jesus. These five things. And, and the very first one is to stop. Before we could go any further, we talked about we need to stop and acknowledge our steadfast dependence on God. And so 4440 begins today. Four minutes of prayer at 4 p.m. for 40 days. Uh, we want everyone doing this. Uh, we want you to please sign up. Please give us your, your phone number if you haven't signed up already. Pastor Jeff sent out a uh, test text, mass text today, but uh, we'd love to get your cell phone number for that. Uh, for every day at four o'clock, you can get one. Or if you don't have a cell phone and do email, you can do that. Or if you actually want a phone call, we can do that. But every day for 40 days at four o'clock. If you can't do four, if it has to be 4.30 for you, we don't care. Just pray for four minutes. Um, and it's a, uh, each day you'll get a prompt of how you can pray. There's something beautiful about just stopping and going, God, today I need to be steadfastly dependent upon you. So if you're on the job, stop in, in your truck for a minute, for four minutes, uh, and, and, and do that. It starts today and we're excited. But as we talk about this, um, it occurs to me, a lot of us might say, myself included, all right, well, how do I pray? I mean, we always talk about Christians pray. That's what we do. But how do we do this? Uh, when you don't have anything to pray for, four minutes can actually seem like an eternity. When you're just sitting there going, what do I do now for the next four minutes? Uh, even though it doesn't seem like very long, it can. Um, and so today we want to talk about this. Sometimes we scratch our heads and go, how do we pray? Um, maybe you've seen uh, Pastor Joe Nelms praying at the... Uh, a NASCAR event in, in Nashville. I really wanted to get the video up for this, but I couldn't. But uh, Pastor, Pastor Nelms prays for R07 Speedway engines and Toyotas and Dodges and, and his smoking hot wife. And he prays for all these kind of crazy things. If you get a chance to YouTube the best NASCAR prayer ever, you can see this. And, and you're just cracking up as he prays this goofy prayer. But at the end of it, we go, I think that was almost a little irreverent. Maybe, I don't know. Is that how I'm supposed to pray? Like, how am I supposed to pray? How do we do this? We kind of know how not to pray, really. Jesus talked a lot about it. Pharisees, he said, see the Pharisees? Don't pray like that. 
Jesus said, like the Gentiles, you see them pray. They just babble on and on incessantly saying the same things over and over, thinking that, you know, their gods would hear them because of their endless words. So the disciples got, okay, well, we're not supposed to pray like that. We're not supposed to pray hypocritically like the Pharisees did. Lord, thank you for not making me, you know, uh, all these other people. Um, We're not supposed to pray like that. How are we supposed to pray? The disciples asked Jesus this. They said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? So for for the next 40 days, we're going to look at, over the next few weeks while we're doing this, during the 40 days, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus used when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. This is the tool he used. We might as well use it. Jesus gave it to us. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6. And so if you are following along today, I would love for you to turn there. Matthew chapter 6 is a great reference for you. Just remember it. We're going to start in verse 9. And we're going to take the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. Every word of the Lord's Prayer is significant. There are two versions of the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. We have one in Luke and one in in Matthew, and they're slightly different, but it makes sense. Jesus probably taught the Lord's Prayer on multiple occasions in multiple settings, and he may not have always taught it exactly the same way because Jesus wasn't necessarily uh, interested in making a ritual prayer out of it. And so it makes sense that we might have two slightly different versions in the gospel because Jesus taught it on many occasions. And there are a lot of different translations out there of the Lord's Prayer. It's funny when we, got to the, we get to that section uh, uh, about forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins. or It depends on, I can tell the Catholics and the, and the Lutherans, and, you know, depending on how you say that part of it. And it's okay. Uh, there's different translation of this. I like the one that uses the word debts and debtors. So we're going with that one as we read it together here. But there's just different translations of the original language, and that's okay. They mean the same thing. There's two extremes as we think about the Lord's Prayer. We typically tend to respond to the Lord's Prayer in a couple different ways. The the way us uh, evangelicals tend to do it is to go, well, we don't want to be rote about this, and we don't want to just say this meaningless prayer, so we just won't pay any attention to it. And uh, we just forget about the Lord's Prayer. We We don't even say it together. Well, that's one extreme. The other extreme is that we just endlessly recite it without even thinking about it every time we pray. So it just becomes words without thought or heart. We don't want either of those. Jesus didn't intend either of those when he looked at the Lord's Prayer, when he taught those. Jesus taught us a prayer that is so important, a model for prayer that is so important it's transformative. Uh, To say that Jesus was a genius (laughs) is probably the understatement of the year, but really, this prayer is just pure genius. It's simple. It's complex. Uh, It's not very long, yet every word has meaning. And so today we're going to focus on the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I'd like to look at this, this phrase in the prayer, just one word at a time, and allow the significance of each word just to sink in so that when we pray it again, you'll think through these words. So the very first word in the prayer is the word our. You know, we say it and we don't even think about it. Our Father. Why does Jesus say our Father? Why doesn't he teach the disciples, when you pray, say my Father? Why does he say our Father? 
Well, th- there's a couple reasons for that, I think. There's a couple things that we should be reminded of when we say the prayer. The first thing that we should be reminded of is that, is that we're not alone. You are not alone when you're praying the Lord's Prayer. It is not my Father, it's our Father. When you pray, you're praying with millions of other Christ followers around the world. Did you think about that? You're acknowledging that it's not just me. It's all of us together. The journey is not just you and God. Our. We're in this together. Oh, the other day, one of my daughters asked me for $10 for lunch because she was going to a school event and she needed $10 for lunch. And she remembered that her sister was going with her. She didn't just ask for her $10. She said, Anna and I both need $10 because they're both my children involved in the same function. Each of their connectedness to me as children give them a common connection with each other. They'll never share that kind of connection with anyone else. I mean, isn't that cool? My kids, all six of them, have a unique connection because I'm their father. They don't call me just, I'm not just one of their fathers. I'm all of their fathers. Uh, think about that when you pray our father. How significant, you're not just you as an individual running around. Like you're part of something bigger than you. Embrace the body. You were not meant to be an only child. You weren't. The father has adopted countless numbers of children. And as we draw near to our God, it's a reminder that we're not alone. Whatever reason you come to God, for whatever reason you do that, you don't come alone. So lean into your brothers and sisters as you lean into God. He's our Father. We're not alone. But we also remember that we're not the only one coming when we say the word our. The story's not just about me. I get sometimes so focused on me and who I am and what my needs and what's going on. And when we say the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded that it's not just me coming. We're, attempt, we're, we're tempted to say, God, here's my need. I'm coming to you right now. You need to respond to me right now. That's kind of like a spoiled child does, right? I, I mean, it's amazing what our two littlest get away with, Malachi and Olivia. They're, Olivia's two, Malachi's one. And, and they can just scream their way into getting what they want. I mean, it just happens. You're like, I got so much going on. And the loudest screamer has figured out that he or she gets the attention. I mean, it's terrible. It's like a spoiled child. When we come to God and we scream, God, pay attention to me right now because I have a need and I want you to do this for me. Our Father, our, reminds us that we're not the only one coming. God is weaving a story. Our thread is in this great tapestry that might not exactly follow the the path that we want it to. But we remember that our Father is working for good. Our Father is weaving our strings, our threads in this tapestry. He's weaving them together in this path that weaves all of our stories together for our good and his glory. And so when we say our father, we remember this. My brother and I sat on a stage at, in a church yesterday and, and eulogized our father together as my dad died on Tuesday. And I really do, Jeff, those were kind words he said. And, uh, and you know, it was just a thank you for all of your support for 
all of you who came, who, who wrote us cards and notes, who've been thinking and praying for us. We felt such incredible support in the loss of our father. Um, but yesterday, we, my brother and I sat on a stage and we together eulogized our father. And we did this because I, I insisted on being the pastor of the funeral because I'm kind of stubborn like that and he's my dad. Uh, but I am not the only child of my father. There are two sons. And my father's other son is Marcus. And it didn't seem right to eulogize him alone. When we pray to our father, we remember our. He's ours. He's all of ours. He's yours. He's mine. For those of us who have been adopted because of Christ, we're all children. We don't say our. He's not my father. The prayer says our father. That's a beautiful thing that Jesus did for us when he gave us the Lord's Prayer. He starts with the word our. The next word we come to in this is the word father. Here's a word that's more familiar to us in the prayer. We think of our father, but it's loaded with implications. We've all had an earthly father, haven't we? I mean, his presence or his absence his success or his failure has in some respects shaped our view of God for good or for bad. Yesterday, um, and I'll just give a disclaimer, who knows if I'm going to cry today or not. <laughs> it just might happen because I'm talking about my father. As I think of our heavenly father, I think of my earthly father. And it's true for every single one of us. Whether your dad was a fantastic dad or a terrible dad, whether your dad was just this picture that gave you a great view of God or when you look at your dad and go, man, I hope God is nothing like that. Your father shapes your view of God. And, and, and what I would tell you is that we need to go back to Scripture. Because God the Father is not modeled after your father. Your father may have displayed some attributes of God the Father. And he may not have. But when we look at our father, we get this beautiful picture of a loving, caring father. And, and there's a couple aspects when we say the word father that I think we should draw out in this prayer together. Um, father means a couple of things. First of all, when we say the word father, we mean origin. You know, we each come from our biological parents. Our origin is in them, whether we know them or not. Our origin biologically is in our parents, our father. It, it's pretty cool uh, in, in preparing for the the funeral this week, uh, my brother Marcus went through all these old pictures. I mean, he just did an amazing job of sifting through hours and hours of photos and pulling out ones that just, man, gave us such great memories of my dad. But he found one I had never seen before. It's my dad in the army, um, and <laughs> he's in his underwear, which is awesome. He'd be mad at me right now for showing this. But um, so, you know, it's, and I look at that picture and he's in his 20s and he's in, in the uh, army and in the National Guard getting, you know, training. And he's the skinniest I've ever seen him in his life in that photo. And, and uh, I look, I'm like, is that dad? Because honestly, the first glance I thought, I thought, that's my brother Marcus. And I'm like, what were you doing in the army? <laughs> you know, I look at that and that, oh, that's my dad. I mean, when you look at that, when you look at my brother and I, you can't help but see our father in us. We, we resemble him. Our origin is in dad. And when we say our heavenly father, when we're reminded of God the father, we acknowledge that our origin is in him. 
It's just a simple way of saying, God, I'm not in this by random chance and accidentally or of my own design. My Heavenly Father is the one who is my origin. When we say our Father, we acknowledge we were created by Him and for Him. An atheist couldn't and wouldn't call God the Father. Those of Eastern religious persuasion could not call God Father. They call everything around them God, and they're all God, and they can't call God Father. It's a beautiful picture. Our origin is in Him. So Father means origin, but Father also brings up the, another idea, and that's the idea of authority. Father means I'm willing to submit to Him. There's something about the word Father that acknowledges our place, doesn't it? Um, with my own children, I've tried to get them to say the word, to call me Father, they call me dad or daddy or whatever. I, I, I think you should call me father. And I tried to get them to say it in an English accent. Like I just think it would commit, you know, command more authority if they would call me father in, in an English accent. But uh, I, can't, I can't get them to do it. Um, it doesn't stick. I like it though. The word father says I acknowledge that someone has authority over me. As a 15-year-old, I remember sitting in my bedroom so angry with my dad. And it didn't happen a lot that I got into conflict with my father, but it happened that day. And we were just going at it, and I was just so angry with him. And he sat in my room, and he kind of like used this big frame to block the door to my room and say, you're not leaving your room, son, until we figure this out. And, uh, and he was, used this big frame, he stood there, and I was so mad, and he knew it. And he says, David, why don't you just punch me and get it over with? And my hand did one of these deals. And I'm like, I think I can take him, you know. And, and as that hand clenched up and I was ready to punch him, it just, I couldn't do it. He's my authority. And I just knew better. I knew it wasn't as mad as I was and as much as I didn't think he was doing it right and all this stuff, I knew he was the authority of me of life and I couldn't do it. When we say God, our Father, there's this submissiveness in saying Father. God, I submit to you. I know my place. Isn't that beautiful? Our Father in heaven. So God, the Father is our origin. He's our authority. But there's another word that the word Father brings up, and that's the, the idea of love. In the Old Testament, the word for love that I, that I really like, there's a lot of different words for love, but the one that I really like that God talks about that the, the, the prophets talk about God, is the word hesed. It's the Hebrew word hesed. In, in the King James, it's called loving kindness, but that doesn't really get it. The, the idea of hesed is faithful covenant love. It's the idea of God said that he would love his people Israel, and he's gonna because of who he is. It's beautiful. It's intimate. It says, God says, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right beside you. He says, I may discipline you as a father disciplines his children. I may, I may let you run, but I am not going anywhere. This picture of a father that loves us. Hesed, faithful, covenant, agreement, love. Um, I've got lots of stories about my dad because I've just been thinking about him all week. And, and then i I actually prepared this message on Tuesday before he died. I finished writing it about five hours before he passed away. And, and so, you know, but knowing it was coming, I was thinking about all these stories. And um, 
my dad understood faithful love. So like, and I always knew, my dad wasn't real good at saying I love you. He didn't do that stuff. Like that was weird for him, I think, uncomfortable. But he was faithful and always loved me. And I was thinking about how that shaped my life. You know, when Clarissa and I decided to take this leap and move from Indianola to Waukee to join a church plant, who, who knows if they were actually going to be able to pay me anything or not, you know? Like, I, I mean, who knows if this whole thing a year down the road wouldn't just fold and we'd just have nothing. And one of the reasons, so there's a risk in doing it. And one of the reasons we could do that and step out and take a risk is because I knew that no matter what, my dad, <laughs> he'd be there for me. Um, if we had to move into his basement, you know, all six of us at the time, he'd do it. He's faithful. He's there. I remember doing the funeral for Leon Kaiser, and his, one of the things his kids said was that uh, they remembered incidents where his, they were basically without a place to live. And he, he said, no kid of mine's going to sleep on the street. And Leon drove like all the way to Chicago to get him and bring him back. I mean, that's a father's faithful love. Do you know when you say our father, when you pray that, that's what you're saying. You're acknowledging that there's a God who all your origin comes from him. You submit to him, but it's easy to do because he faithfully loves you. When you put that all together, you see how God loves you. Did you know your father, Heavenly Father, has this warm affection for you? Uh, one of the things that my brother and I were reminiscing yesterday was we sat at Westchester Evangelical Free Church. We grew up there, you know. And so we were laughing because dad was always had us in church. Always, always, always. We were always there. We didn't want to be there, but we were there. And so, uh, you know, we're sitting. And he had a pew. Like, he had a spot. I think when the church recovered uh, their pews a few years ago, there was probably like an indentation in the padding where dad sat. Like it was this one spot. He always sat there. And whenever my brother and I would perform or do something, uh, you know, at any event, if we were involved in singing or music at, at church up on that stage, my mom would, told me this years later that dad was so proud that he would his body would shake. He was trying not to cry. And so the whole, his whole body would shake, holding back the tears. And mom said the whole pew would shake. Like everyone knew in that row that dad was proud of his boys because uh, that's how he felt. When you say our father, did you know your father feels that way about you? Like that's how he feels about you. He loves you. Our father. Those, I mean, that's enough right there. Let's go home, right? Like just to, contemplate the words, our Father, that your heavenly Father has that kind of affection for you. This is not the God waiting to smack you. He's the Father that's committed to you. There's another phrase here that I want to talk about. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. This phrase reminds us that God is not our earthly Father, and we should never get the two confused. It's a good phrase. And that while our fathers may have painted a picture of God for us in heaven reminds us that God is, is the good God and we should never get them confused. The phrase in heaven reminds us of a couple things. First of all, there's this separation between heaven and earth. The phrase in heaven reminds us that our father is not of this realm, although he created it. 
But there is a separation. Sin separates us from God. And this is very humbling. Friends, there is a world out there that would like to deny this truth. They'd like to say that if there's a God, he's more like us than he, different from us. And he's just kind of in the same boat with us. But what sin teaches us is that each of us are wretches who desperately need forgiving and that there is a massive void between us and God. And so when we say in heaven, we're reminded of this. Our Father who loves us is separate from us. And this is very humbling. It's a foreshadowing, really. Of, it's foreshadowed in, in um, Israelite culture and Jewish religion. It's foreshadowed in a beautiful way in the temple. Of course, remember before Jesus, uh, the, the Jews worshiped God through the temple. And in the inner sanctum of the temple, there was a holy place and a holy of holy place. <laughs> And the holy of holy place was where Jews would identify that was where God's presence was. Certainly they knew God was everywhere. But there was a sense in which they knew that that was the place where God was. And so there was this huge veil in the, in the temple later. This would be a curtain that was massive, so tall that no person could get up there to the top of it. This massive curtain that said, don't come in here. God is separate. When Jesus died that night, you remember the... Gospel writers include this. You first of all think it's like just this little additional detail they throw in, but that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom to say God is the one who tore the veil. And the symbolism of saying now because of Jesus, God the Father who's in heaven through Jesus has now stepped into our realm. It's a foreshadowing of what happens in the book of Revelation when we see the heavenly city, Jerusalem, descend upon this earth, the bringing of heaven and earth together. It started at the cross, and it finishes in Revelation. So when we say our Father in heaven, we're acknowledging that, yes, there's a sense in which sin separates us from God, but the gospel is in these words that Jesus bridged the gap, that when we couldn't and wouldn't come to God, he came to us. Don't you love it? I mean, we're just four words into this thing. Our Father in heaven. And look, that's all that's packed in this prayer. It's, the word heaven is a gospel of restoration. We come to him because Jesus is bringing these two together. It's a beautiful reminder of our sin and his holiness. And that leads us to the next phrase. Hallowed be your name. The first word, hallowed. Let, let's look at that word together a little bit. Hallowed. What does that mean? Well, that word hallowed is really the word holy. Holy is your name. You can say it and it means the same thing. We can say holy. It's, it's, it's separate. Well, what is holy? Well, holy is special, not common. Um, I, I use a lot of pens because I, I when I'm writing, I usually like to actually scribble things out by hand before I type them. It just helps me think through things better. And so I have a lot of legal pads that have a lot of scratches on them. And the kind of pen I have is usually this kind. Usually the clip is busted off because uh, I do that to pens, huh? dumb nervous habit. Um, and uh, usually it's a cheap pen that I didn't pay very much for because I lose pens like you would not believe. And so it's not worth having an expensive pen for me because it'll be gone. 
And so uh, I, I usually have these cheap old common pens. A lot of times they say Waukee Community Church on them. And, uh, you know, oh, well, I lost it. No big deal. Uh, so I have common, everyday, ordinary pens. I don't really have any pens that are special. But there are a different kind of pen. And I asked our pen connoisseur at Waukee Community Church <laughs> to bring a special pen. And Thomas brought a special pen for me today. And so I'm a little nervous holding it. I, I don't promise that I won't lose it, but keep your eye on it. Um, so this pen Thomas bought when Lucas was born, if I understand this story right. And, and Thomas bought this and he signed all the, the birth documents for Lucas with this pen. And this is not just an everyday, ordinary, common pen. This is a nice pen and it's a special pen. And you haven't used it since he signed those documents. So someday he's going to give this to Lucas when Lucas is old enough not to lose it. And, uh, <laughs> and that will be, I mean, it's a special pen. It, it, it's holy. It's different than a throwaway pen. When we pray, thank you, Thomas. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're acknowledging something about God and he's holy, that he's special. But what is holy about God? Hallowed be what? Your name. Isn't that fascinating? You have to understand some things about um, Jewish religion to understand this. You have to understand something about how the Jewish people viewed God to understand why the holiness of his name is special. You remember in Egypt when uh, Moses had left Egypt and gone out into the wilderness for 40 years and been a shepherd and running from all this stuff and being out there. And at 80 years old, Moses came to the burning bush. And God called Moses and he said, I want you to go free my people. And Moses didn't want to do it. Do you remember that? Moses didn't want to go. He said, God, no, they won't listen to me. I'm just a, no, I'm a shepherd. I'm a nobody. I'm out here. You know, uh, they won't know. And so God kind of gets after him a little bit. And he said, listen, I told you to go, go. And so Moses says an interesting thing. He says, God, well, when I go, the Israelites are going to say, well, what's God's name? What? Why would they want to know that? He's, he's God, you know? Why do you need to know his name? We have to understand in, um, in Egyptian history, the name of a God was very important. The Egyptians thought you could control a God if you knew his name or her name. And so a name was very important. And I think in a sense what Moses is saying is, just give me your name so we can control you. Do you know what name God gave? Not like Ra the sun god or Isis or some. God gave a verb for a name to say, you can never control me. He said, Yahweh is the Hebrew. I am what I am. I am who I am. Or it's, it could be, I will be who I will be. Either one. He gave a verb for a name. The, the Jews held this in such um, sacredness, this name, that they wouldn't say the name Yahweh aloud. In fact, they were very superstitious. Then they wouldn't write it. They wouldn't write the name Yahweh because they didn't want to violate the sacredness of God's name. So what they would do is they'd put the consonants in, but later on the Masoretes, when they added vowel points, they put the vowel points for the name Adonai in the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
And when you read that and you don't know what they did, it sounds like Jehovah. So when we say the name Jehovah, we're just mispronouncing Yahweh because of the superstition in it. We can't even say God's name. Now that's not what God intended. Don't ever speak my name. What he intended is, don't let my name become a common every ordinary pen that you just throw around. Like when we use his name as a swear word. That's why it's so offensive. And really the name God is generic when people say, you know, text OMG. When they just, that's pretty generic. What really gets me is when people use Jesus' name. And they just use it like a swear word. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They just throw it around. His name is holy. It's set apart. It's special. And oh, that those of us who call ourselves disciples, followers, we should never use his holy name flippantly like that. Another way we name them, make the name of God holy is, is by the way we live. Because the truth is we're children of God and, and the way we live reflects on his holy name. Um, our children do this to us all the time, don't they? <laughs> you know, I, got, I want my son who's working now to show up on time for work because his promptness reflects on me as dad. I want, you know, if, if Olivia melts down in the grocery store, I think it reflects on me as a parent. I care about their behavior. And, and so when we call ourselves children of God, our behavior reflects on the holiness of his very name. Our Father in heaven, one way you can translate is, let your name be made holy in me. Wow. The way you live makes the name of God special, holy. So now we're like a phrase into this. I mean, you see all that's in this prayer, that when we pray it, our lives can be transformed by this prayer. When we pray to a holy God, we're acknowledging that he's totally separate from us, and that means we can do something. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're acknowledging now that his name is holy, and that he's separate, and that he actually has the power to do something. You know, it's why we don't pray to each other, right? You know, like Mark Joy here. You know, I'll pick on him. Oh, Mark, today, I need some things. Mark, you know, could you help me out here? You know, I need a million dollars today. If you could help me out, that would be fantastic. You know, we don't do this. We don't pray to each other because we're all in this together. And when we pray about the holiness of God, we're praying to a God who can actually do something. It's like a student going to another student and seeing, like, oh, you know, hey, man, uh, what did you think of that test today? And, oh, it's really hard. Yeah, I got my grade back. I got a D. Oh, bummer. Wow. I got a C on it. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, it was really hard. Hey, if I said to my you know, the fellow student, hey, uh, could you do me a favor? Could you fix my grade for me? I mean, just be lenient with me. Could you just fix it and help me out here? And the student be like, what are you talking about? I'm in the same boat you are. I can't change your grade. If you want to change your grade, go talk to who? The teacher. The one in charge. When we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we acknowledge that he 
is different than we are. We're not in this boat together. He's holy and he's the one that can do something about it. In making his name holy, we're acknowledging this. He can do something about it. So this is how we pray. We start by acknowledging that this has very little to do with us. I love it. And this whole first phrase has nothing about our needs and our requests and our hangnails and our grandma's cousin's dog's whatever, broken knee. It's, uh, it, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that is so freeing when we come to him. Our Father. Our. We're in it together. Father. Submission to a God who loves us. In heaven that Jesus bridged the gap. Holy is your name. Would you change me, God, so I can live out your holy name? Our worship team is going to come back in a moment, and we're going to worship in response to this. And uh, as they come up, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer again together. And we're going to think about that phrase as we say it, what we mean. So as they come up, would you stand? Would you stand together? And uh, Richard, if you could scroll back to the Lord's Prayer again. Let's say this together with me, would you? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we do come to you acknowledging that you are good and we are together in this. And God, you are holy. And in you, Father, lies all the power. So we gladly submit to you and we ask that you would grant us the grace to live such lives that we make your name holy wherever we go. And we worship you as a response. So today, take our songs that we're about to sing. Would we sing loudly and with great joy, acknowledging who you are? As we continue, would you just stand as we sing together?